This is the Unlimited Unloaded page. And welcome to the Monday program. We've got some information for you from the weekend, but the last information as it comes to the 2021-22 season, namely Romain Beckford and how he fared at the Men's Track and Field Championships in Eugene, Oregon, and thus he brought to an end the season as far as the Bulls go. On Wednesday's show, we'll give you plenty of audio of some highlights from the year. I'm going to give you one moment that you probably either forgot or didn't hear in the first place that was one of my favorite moments coming up in our second segment. There's so many, of course, grand highlights, the ones that stand out, of course, the Sidney Harvey shot for the women's basketball team against Stanford, the walk-off shots for baseball, the perfect games and the like for Georgina Korik, and, of course, some of the big moments from football, Brian Batiste, two kickoff returns. Yeah, you'll hear those on Wednesday's show, but one of my, and you'll, Understand why I think when you hear it, favorite sequences from a softball game this year in the spring as we just kind of focus on that a little bit here as we officially wrap it up in this segment. Won't be as long of a show today. We'll enhance it if you're listening on the stream in between airings with what we do from time to time. And we'll do more of because we have more time to put some together here in the summer. We call them bonus cuts, basically either past interviews or past highlights of games. And then at the end of the hour, it is around the American. And speaking of the end, the season came to an end after midnight for East Carolina in baseball. Man, did the Pirates have a chance to, for the first time, get to Omaha. But, well, Saturday was really when they lost the thing. And then Sunday became a long wait through weather and ultimately get off to a horrible start and see their season come to an end. Speaking of the College World Series, I guess the SEC is good in baseball. So far, six spots out of the eight for Omaha are secured, and five of them are teams that are either in the SEC or will be in the near future. And there's one more possibly. Just told you about Texas beating East Carolina. Of course, they'll be in the SEC. Oh, by the way, the conference realignment is in motion. We'll definitely talk about that at the end of the hour on Around the American, but also how it affects not just the Bulls, but the SEC. It's all going to happen one more year as we have it now, and then 2023-2024 will have your teams and probably Oklahoma and Texas in the SEC at that time. But anyway, back to the field of teams making it to Omaha. Oklahoma is another, yes, future SEC team, which had to start off despite winning the Big 12 championship as far as the tournament went. People thought they should have been a host the Sooners, and give them credit. Oklahoma, one of the teams that really could have argued to be a host and said, we'll take care of matters on the road, going to Gainesville, first of all, and then going to number four seed Virginia Tech and winning yesterday. So those are your future SEC teams that are in the College World Series. The others, of course, are current SEC teams. Texas A&M was the very first to take care of matters, joined by Arkansas, which, again, had to do it on the road, specifically in North Carolina. And Ole Miss, which was the last team picked for the NCAA tournament, Guess that was the right pick. Dominated Southern Miss. Shut them out a couple of times. And Ole Miss, by the way, which went below 500 in the SEC. You heard me right. Below 500 in the SEC is in Omaha. And again, that shows you how good the SEC is. However, the one team that you would have said for sure is going to be in the College World Series was the one that didn't make it. Number one national seed, Tennessee, which hit the fourth most home runs in a season in NCAA history, 158, had the best ERA in the country, insane, and of course against Notre Dame yesterday had a 3-1 lead going into the seventh inning, looked like they're going to get their typical win, had only lost one three-game series all year, well, 
This was a three-game series, and Notre Dame ended up beating them 7-3. to Speaking of teams like Oklahoma, Notre Dame very much arguably could have been a host instead had to go to Statesboro, Georgia, and took care of matters. Two more spots, and yes, one of them could be another SEC team. Auburn, which got forced to a deciding game by host Oregon State. That's the impressive part. A lot of these teams doing it on the road. And then finally, Stanford has forced a final game with UConn. Yes, the team that the Bulls started off their season against is one win away from making it to Omaha, even though UConn will have to work against the number two team. Just so many crazy games last weekend in the regionals and this past in the super regionals. The Stanford-UConn game that UConn won kind of stands out because the Cardinal hit eight home runs and lost. Most homers they'd hit since 04. They hit four in the bottom of the ninth, including Brock Jones is third to get it going. It went from 13 to six to 13 to 12, and UConn just hung on. It really puts into perspective how incredibly difficult it is to win that thing because you have to, more often than not, go through these unbelievable ups and downs just to get to Omaha, and then you have to win a handful of games once you get there. I tell you, it makes you appreciate what the Texas Longhorns did this weekend alone to East Carolina because they now will have been to Omaha 38 times and the Pirates are looking for their first trip. Again, we'll detail that at the end of the hour. But the end of the road for the USF programs, or the end of the track, I should say, came on Friday afternoon. Romaine Beckford competing in the NCAA Finals in the high jump already. Three Bulls had competed on the women's side on Thursday. And unfortunately for Beckford, he was hoping for a top eight finish, maybe even higher than that. He could not get to the same height that he did at the East preliminary meet. So he finished in 13th place. Still 13th in the country gets you second team All-American status. And of course, Beckford, an outstanding addition, one of so many to the track and field program of Eric Jenkins. His actual height was 2.15 meters, which is seven and a half inches. What he had done at the regional meet was the next bar up, basically another quarter inch. Little small things, right? And track and field. If he had hit that height, he would have been in the sixth or seventh place range. As it turns out, he was one of seven individuals whose last height hit was the 2.15 meter. And it's based, as you heard, actually, Mr. Beckford himself explained to me, if you can't clear a height, it goes back to who did it most frequently, most cleanly. So that knocked him to the 13th spot. The overall champion was from Kansas State to Jaswin Shankar. Hit seven feet five and a quarter inches, one full inch higher than the runner-up from Georgia. About the Florida Gators winning both the men's and the women's track and field championship. And that officially was the last event of the season. So again, we'll do kind of a full stock on Wednesday, but just sort of a brief stock on what just happened most recently. Baseball, got to say disappointing, but also have to take into account some of the factors. Jack Jaciak was supposed to be their ace pitcher, is an ace pitcher, but had an injury and had to get shut down. And we just take a look at East Carolina's game last night alone. It gives you an idea of how losing one pitcher can really crush you and East Carolina was down to a guy that really wasn't a starting pitcher and he couldn't get it done and Texas had a guy go six innings pretty good guy as well so if you don't have your number one guy someone that can win you games the Bulls just did not have that this year unfortunately we're used to seeing it in the past having a starting pitcher that you knew was going to go out there and win you a game and they just didn't have it offense was pretty good had its moments but also could have been better but I think and you know that Billy Mullen staff knows this 
they're going to have to get a deeper pitching staff, one that can, again, be one you can lean on to carry you through parts of the season. And eventually, the big part, the end of the season, where you really need the pitching staff to go deep. Softball, of course, that was kind of an issue as well, if you really want to break it down. The pitching staff depth. <laughs> Needless to say, the Bulls were fine at the top. And now without Georgina Korik, the secret weapon that Ken Erickson kept referring to throughout the course of the season for the future, we'll have to find out who it is. I wouldn't be surprised, and I could be way off base here, Peyton Dixon, who is a lefty freshman that was hyped up out of Delaware but just couldn't get on the field this year due to injuries, could be somebody, but you never know, transfer portal, that kind of thing could come into play. Of course, that was baseball and softball. We just talked about track and field, golf and tennis, both did some great things, golf advancing to the NCAA championships on the men's side, even though they did not perform up to their standards when they were there. But getting there was a big deal. And Melanie Green competing as an individual in the NCAA Tallahassee Regional and later on making it qualifying for the U.S. Open. Tennis had those two magical days in Tulsa. I don't know if those words have ever been uttered, but back-to-back days winning against UCF, the men ending the night's season and the women stunning the top seed it did not get any better than that for tennis and one of the sports that we love covering and one that hey is going to get some improvements we talk about the indoor performance facility that's going to be centered around football and some of the other improvements we'll be keeping an eye on the baseball and softball structure that's going to be going up but tennis is also going to have a big time overhaul to its facility something that we will definitely be covering for you here on USF Bulls Unlimited. And even though it wasn't a sport this spring, the fact that a sport has been added that we played in future springs was no small story. Women's lacrosse, of course, we're talking about that. So the season ends, but it doesn't end for Georgina Corrick. More big-time accolades, and oh yeah, she's probably pitching today. We'll explain what's next for her, and I'll play that highlight I was referring to earlier, one of my favorite moments of the year as the show continues. Thanks for stopping by the Unlimited Unloaded page. Again, we'll end the hour with the conference program, and that will be what we do throughout the course of the summer, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Two airings of Bulls beat each hour, and it ends with Around the American. Sometimes it'll just be a few minutes. Today it'll be longer because of the, well, official news from the conference. There's been an exit deal agreed to for the teams that are exiting, but also it's starting to speed up to where... The new teams from Conference USA will indeed all be in place, not this upcoming fall, but the next fall. So one more year of what we have, essentially. And we'll also, of course, on Around the American, tell you how East Carolina couldn't quite pull it off. Looked like they were headed to the College World Series, but did not happen. Here on this program, a couple of things to get to, and definitely keeping an eye on all of the head coaches and what they've got going on. Brian Gregory, who's a guy that plan on talking to as we are definitely going to have a lot of interviews this summer with head coaches and he was pretty excited to share the news of what speaking of people I want to talk to an incoming bull was able to do at the Kentucky versus Indiana all-star game Indiana destroyed Kentucky by the way and there's a certain kid on the Indiana all-star team that is coming to USF and I think you all should be excited about Ryan Conwell showed out big time in two big wins as I said it was 104 to 77 in the first game he was a second leading scorer 18 points 10 rebounds and 5 assists and in the second game again was the second leading scorer came off the bench and in less than 20 minutes went 7 for 12 hit 3 threes 
19 points. The leading scorer in both cases was an IU recruit, C.J. Gunn, with 20 and 21. But again, Conwell, who can score from anywhere, was right behind him. Yeah, that's pretty good stuff. Also great stuff from a current member of the men's soccer team, a guy that, as a soccer guy, I certainly don't take for granted, but maybe his name should be known a little bit more out there by everyone, Sal Mazzaferro, and he doesn't draw attention to himself. Boy, a member of a defense that should be stronger. I think it looks like Marcus Murphy, who graduated last year but didn't get to play due to an injury, is going to be able to take advantage of the extra season and play for the Bulls. But Mazzaferro is an amazing member of their defense. He was just named, and this is voted on by fans of the organization. He is playing in South Georgia for the Tormenta FC2 program, and he was voted as Player of the Month. I want you to think about something. Usually, Players of the Month are what? Scores. He is a defensive player, and the fans of this Tormenta program absolutely noticed it as he got the bulk of the votes for Player of the Month for that second division team, the non-professional team. And by the way, Henry Satch, who is on that team as well, a standout defender from Tulsa, was right behind him in the fan vote. And oh, incidentally, even though he didn't win the fan vote for the professional team, South Georgia Tormenta, Adrian Bilhart is playing for that, and he was up for Player of the Month. But current Bull player Sal Mazzaferro was voted as the FC2 player of the month for that team and I know that there's a lot of members of the soccer and the baseball teams competing this summer kind of a lot to keep track of we'll put it all together for you and let you know what's going on oh speaking of that pretty important member of the softball team Georgina Corrick is still going in fact she will be pitching tonight d1softball.com does a great job of explaining exactly what this league is athletes unlimited Now, this is a league that does women's lacrosse as well as volleyball and other sports, specifically on the women's side. And this AUX event is kind of just an in-sport expansion by this Athletes Unlimited, rather than just have a summer season where you have teams that are set and play things out. This is a kind of a mix-it-up situation. There are three teams, and for the next few weeks, they will redraft at the beginning of each week. And so each day basically will feature three games where one team's going to be playing twice. If you have three teams, they can't all be playing at the same time. And Georgina Corrick is on one of these teams. As a matter of fact, the draft was held over the weekend. Amanda Chattister, who is a former Michigan player and a member of the national team, was the captain. And if you go to AUProSports.com, Athletes Unlimited is the entity this event happens to be called AUX. It's like an auxiliary tournament. It seems like it's going to be pretty fun. It's in San Diego. And again, it'll be televised across the platforms of ESPN. Tonight's action will be game one on ESPNU and the second game actually at 8.30 on ESPN. Georgina Corrick was the first player picked by Team Chidester, so she wanted to go ahead and have an ace pitcher. There are only 13 members on each of the teams, 13 or 14, so I'm sure Cork's going to get plenty of pitching in. And if you look at some of the members of her team, Deja Malipolo, who is a big-time slugger and catcher, again, on the national team, and you're going to see some big names. And again, I take you to that D1 softball article if you want all the ins and outs, and I mean all the ins and outs on you know how unusual this format is, how even though there was a draft for this about a month ago, you had players like Jocelyn Allo of 
Oklahoma, the national champion, unable to sign with the league because, well, they were still playing just a few days ago in the College World Series. However, Corrick is one of the headliners as far as newcomers in this league in this summer format that starts tonight. Once we see it, we'll get more ideas, although I didn't know this until looking at the article on D1Softball.com. There's actually a points system. Basically, if you're a hitter, you get points for each hit. If you're the team, you get a certain amount of points for winning an inning. If no one scores in an inning, those carry over to the next inning. And why are the points important? The score of the game is going to be the score of the game. That won't be different. But behind the scenes, the points will go at the end of the week to supplement how much income you get, uh, depending on how your team does. So whatever that number is, it is official. Georgina Cork is a professional softball player, and it begins tonight. And oh yeah, the highlight. I wanted to play. You will probably not guess which game this is from. This is actually from a wild game that took place on Saturday, March the 19th. The Bulls were playing in one of those long stretches. They were playing one or two games every day. They lost to Ohio State in there. They got shut out one nothing two days before this one by Purdue. And the stunning part about that one was Georgina Corrick actually gave up a home run for her first loss of the season. She was 18-0. and And that's what made what happened on Saturday even more stunning. Here's the moment. Came to Tampa on a high, lost to Lehigh, but then got that stunning one nothing win against the Bulls, and they have won three one-run games here. Oh, man, that could be gone. Hit deep to left field, and could it be another Purdue homer against Georgina Corrick? It is. Unbelievable. Emily Cox, first pitch she sees, blast one out of here. And she stomps on home plate, falls down. Folks, that was her only home run of the year. <laughs> Emily Cox hit 071. She only started in nine games all year. And so the Bulls were, well, they were losing in that kind of a scenario. They would finally, remember, they got shut out one nothing. They would finally tie the score, but then in the very next inning, it actually looked like Purdue was going to bounce back. And why? Because Emily Cox led off with a walk, and then a sacrifice bunt led to a fun sequence, if you ask me. Purdue is celebrating like, and their fans are going crazy. Imagine this is not the first time that Rachel Becker has been walked intentionally, but Purdue is acting like it is. And that's a good fastball taken on the outside corner for strike two, one and two. Of course, if you're Purdue, you're thinking only if it's in your zone because we'll take a walk, but Corrick, that was her, yeah, second walk, but that was intentional. Second walk of the inning still, one and two. And did she go? I think she did on that changeup. They're going to check down at third base. She did. Work fires. Oh, there's that screwball. Starts on the outside corner and taken for strike two. Now the crowd kind of responding, I'm thinking, to Purdue's fans. Lustily cheering the intentional walk or getting loud. Boy, the Bulls infield is way back here. And a rise ball taken high and outside. 0-2. So in a game where Purdue took a lead in the second inning and got some breaks on their end, escaping some jams, maybe it can swing here. Either way, it's going to swing one direction. Let's hope it's the Bulls. With the bases loaded, Cork on one and two deals. What a miss three! Rise ball, Foreman throws the ball down. That was definitely, and UCF included in this, by the way, 
the best back and forth between fans all year long, and you heard the Bulls got out of it. And then they would take the lead in the bottom of the sixth inning, and it was Georgina Korik herself, no, not with some big hit, but doing this to get it going. Korik squares to Bunt and drops down a beauty, and that'll do the job, almost thrown away. How about Georgina Korik with the sacrifice Bunt? Fans wanted her to be called safe at first base because they thought the fielder was off the bag, but I mean, she simply dropped that ball barely in front of home plate. And that advances Epperson to second with one away, and now you've got Josie Foreman and RBI leader Alana Rivera. So a good spot here for the Bulls, you would think anyway. 1-0 to Josie, winning run at second. And that smoke to right field. Can that finally get over the head of the center fielder? It does! Dylan finally, a play she couldn't make, and the Bulls take the lead. I'm telling you, all day long, Hard hit balls have been getting caught by their outfielders. And that one, if you take that out of context, you would have thought, no way is it going to get caught. But at the last second, Dylan closed on it and almost made the grab. But a third hit and an RBI double for Josie Foreman. And the Bulls have the lead for the first time today. The first time against Purdue. It's 2-1. to one. So that's just a little teaser of what we're going to have for you on Wednesday's show when we bring you even more highlights and some of my favorite moments of the year. But that's going to wrap it up for Bulls Beat here on a Monday. Thanks for listening. I'm Derek Sharp. Well, we knew that track and field was going to end the season this weekend. We didn't know if baseball would still be the last sport going for the conference. Actually, it was, but not going as far as East Carolina was hoping. This morning, actually, after 1 a.m. is when it all ended for East Carolina. We'll give you those details. We'll also tell you how the track and field participants did, but got to start off with something that happened on Friday. That would be the announcement of the official date of departure of schools UCF, Cincinnati, and Houston going from the American to the Big 12, July 1st, 2023. So this next season will be the last for those three schools as members of the conference. The original news came down, of course, according to the league bylaws. You're required to give 27 months notice and pay $10 million on the way out. And oh yeah, if you want to speed up that timeline, which all three schools did, you're going to have to also bulk up your buyout. $18 million is what UCF, Cincinnati, and Houston each will owe the conference. Of course, the Big 12 just paid out $42 million for each of its members this past season. And no getting around it. It's coming down to money. And, you know, I'll, without trying to sound sour grapesy about all this, just question aloud, you know, competitively how the Big 12 is going to greet UCF. I think they're going to struggle, but the money is definitely going to be a big deal. And their AD, Terry Mahajer, said exactly as much, that it could be a game changer. We have to do our part with the league, and we have to continue to be competitive. We've got to continue to grow our emerging brand nationally. We need our fans watching our games. We need lots of eyeballs. We need attendance. Well, he is right about that and fundraising because they now have a little bit of a deficit they're working under. The reports are that they will not get the full league money until 2025. But again, the Big 12 just paid out $42 million to each of its school. By contrast, last year, the payout by the American was around $8 million. Now, part of this and a big part of it is the other end, along with the three schools that are leaving. The six schools that are coming in apparently will be coming in the same time. July 1st, 2023 will be when Florida Atlantic, UAB, Charlotte, 
UTSA, that's Texas San Antonio, one of three Texas schools, the others being Rice and North Texas, will be joining the conference. We'll have plenty of time down the road to discuss how those various schools fare in all of the sports. But that news is official, so the American teams that we have, we will have for one more year. There was one more team going, and it was East Carolina, and we told you how they have made the NCAA tournament 31 times, had never been to Omaha, more appearances by any team that has never gotten to that last step, and that Texas, well, has now been to the College World Series more times than East Carolina has been to the tournament, and we kind of saw why, unfortunately, on Saturday. Friday, East Carolina got off to a rip-roaring start, even surrendering two runs in the first inning, and one thing we've talked about, two things really, how they have a trio of arms that can go three, four, sometimes even longer, extended innings out of the pen, and really make the game shorten up. But also how any time, pretty much every time, at least when the game's been in doubt, when East Carolina gives up a run, the Pirates score right away. And that's exactly how it played out before a raucous crowd Friday afternoon. Texas scored two in the top of the first, and East Carolina did not care. They scored three runs in the bottom half to take the lead. Jacob Jenkins Cowart, their fantastic freshman who amazingly did not get named all-conference. I'm still trying to figure that one out. Then Jacob Starling, a kid from Orlando who's not a big home run hitter, just had a half dozen during the season. Jacks won out in the fourth inning, 5-2. to two. Bryson Whirl, their stud hitter, makes it 7-2 to two with a home run. And even after Texas started going off with a long ball, three home runs to get it to a two-run game, again, East Carolina had a big answer, putting it away in the eighth inning. Right after the Longhorns had cut it to 8-7, to seven, Alec Makarevich homers, and then Jenkins Coward himself would put it away with a two-run double. 13-7, to seven, Bryson Whirl was 4-5 for five in that game. C.J. Mayhew, their starting pitcher, struck out nine. He really settled down after giving those two runs up in the first inning. Carter Spivey, who was the pitcher of the year in the conference, struggled, but here comes Zach Agnos to get a two-inning save. And oh, by the way, Texas' starting pitcher, Pete Hansen, who was 11-1, gave up six runs in four innings. So they really had it going until they didn't. They overcame an early 2-0 hole. Five runs in the top of the fifth in the Super Regionals. The home team actually goes as the visitor in day two. Five runs in the top of the fifth. That man, Bryson Whirl, who had earlier homered, bases loaded, two-run double for the lead, and then Jacob Jenkins Coward blast out a home run. They would lead 7-2. to Then, as I told you, the big-time advantage they had of having guys that can just shut things down at the end and having multiple pitchers who can do that. Namely, we already talked about Spivey, Garrett Saylor, Trey Yasevich, and Ben Trewilliger, those four guys. Well, they all four pitched in game two in an effort to slow things down, and none of them could come through. Trewilliger gave up three runs, did not get anybody out, as Texas, to its full credit. We told you about all the home runs, the Longhorns hit, a stunning tying three-run shot in the eighth inning, and then Dylan Campbell, who's not really one of their big hitters, a go-ahead shot. However, East Carolina, again, is the visiting team, down to two outs, nobody on in the top of the ninth. Starling blast a 2-0 pitch out, tying the game. Hey, remember last year when uh, Drew Brutcher, you might recall, hit a tying homer in the top of the ninth, and then Texas said, that's fine, we'll win it in the bottom of the ninth. 
That's exactly what happened. And really, after using their four high leverage arms, they had to, the Pirates, go to a freshman, Wyatt Lunsford Schenkman, and he just didn't have it. He was trying to keep the ball inside because Texas's righties were hitting homers with the wind. And, of course, Melendez, who's got more than 30 home runs, is the most feared hitter, led off with a single, which actually felt okay. They bunted him over. But then the second out on a pop-up, and it looked like he could get out of it. And so what does he do? Nibbles, a four-pitch walk, and then Campbell, who had homered for the lead in the previous inning on a one-and-two pitch, slices it down the right field line. I thought Jacob Jenkins-Cowart could have caught it, but it just hit the wall. So Texas comes into yesterday with all the momentum. Rain delayed things. First of all, it was a late start at four. If they had started this at noon, there would have been no weather issues. But that wasn't the issue. The crowd wasn't the issue. They stuck around until the resumption at 10-15. The issue was, and this is the crazy thing, and you sometimes have to have performances like these, Texas wins 11-1. First of all, the Pirates were, believe it or not, out of arms. They had to go with Danny Beal, who was okay out of the pen, but not in this situation. Gave up a four spot in the first. It was 9-1 to after the second inning. Of course, the second inning resumed at around 10-15. to one was the final, so you can't just skip over the fact that the Pirates' offense went away. This felt like it was going to be a 12-10 game. It was an 11-1 game, and the guy who shut them down was a guy who, believe it or not, Tristan Stevens also pitched the clincher in last year's Super Regional. He was an all-conference pitcher, but this year, after three straight shutouts, including one of Alabama to start the season, just didn't have it. This was his first start since late April, and he shut down the Pirates and ended their season. He had pitched out of the pen a lot. In fact, he had pitched out of the pen in each of the first two games. But getting the start and only giving up one run in six innings, that was it. Stuff you don't even foresee going into a series sometimes is what ends up costing you. But in the end, the inability to hang on to a 7-2 to lead. And their head coach, Cliff Godwin, said so much after the game late Last night, early this morning, Saturday was their chance, and they just weren't good enough to close it out. And just as a point, mentioned those big key arms out of the pen. Garrett Saylor was great, went four innings, only gave up two hits, one run, and struck out four. But, again, that was after the score was 9-1. to one. Danny Beal, who was the guy they gave the start, could not get anybody out and giving up those four runs when the game started. And then Trey Yasevich, who has been a big guy out of the pen, gives up the five spot alongside of C.J. Mayhew. If there was any positive during the rain delay, it was the fact that Mayhew, their game one starter, actually got to pitch again, but only got one guy out, so they just didn't put it together. And pitching is one thing, but when you only score one run, obviously that bears some of the brunt. Texas moves on. We'll play top-ranked Tennessee. Whoops, wait. Volunteers were up 3-1 in the seventh inning and home, and Notre Dame from a guy who'd hit one homer all year, tied it with a two-run bomb, and kept on scoring and stunned Tennessee. So that's who Texas gets in its first game. Going to predict that somehow Texas runs into Oklahoma, which is going to be on the other part of their side of the bracket, along with Texas A&M for that matter. So more than a few storylines. East Carolina was hoping to bust up those storylines, but could not do it. And wrapping up the track and field season, one medal for the conference that would be Actually, in a way, a disappointing result because they were the top seed in their event. The 4 by 100 team for Houston ended up actually running a season-best time of 38.64 seconds, but that was good 
for third place and a bronze medal in the event that they won in 2017 and 2018. Just outside the top three on a couple of occasions for the conference, Wichita State's Taryn Taylor was fourth in the Javelin final, and his teammate Michael Bryan was fifth. Another fifth place turned in by Quivel Jordan Vacott in the 400-meter hurdles. He is a Houston runner. Sixth place for Michael Power from Tulsa in the 5,000-meter And the best UCF finish was 7th place. That was their 4x100 relay team. That's going to wrap it up for Around the American. Thanks for listening. I'm Derek Sharp.